Welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Real-world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CodeCast Podcast today. My name is Terry Fletcher. I hope everyone is having a or had a good weekend and you're in full swing as we get into the heart of April. Second quarter for sure. So my topic today is going to focus on managing a remote workforce or also being part of a remote workforce because I know as a biller, a coder, or really any healthcare professional, there are things you need to think about as remote work seems to be here to stay for the most part. I don't know if you realize this, but back in the day prior to the pandemic, I would actually only recommend workers be allowed to work from home as a hybrid, meaning maybe one or two days a week, and only if they were a trusted in-person employee for at least two years. It was actually a bonus for coming into work and you know spending the gas money and knowing how to work with others, etc., and instead of being able to work from home. Because there is a, I don't want to call it a stigmatism, because that's really not what it is. But there's kind of a thought process or a mindset, that's the word, that people that work from home are actually walking their dogs or doing laundry and they're really not working. They're basically taking care of their home and work is a side hustle. And so it, it just, you have to be able to manage the expectations, but also because it is here to stay based on what we've dealt with through COVID, kind of like what we're dealing with telehealth, um, We have to be able to also make sure that it's efficient, that it's appropriate. And remember, if your boss or your healthcare um, entity tells you that you need to come in a little, you know, a little bit, you still need to meet that expectation. So in saying that, let's just take a look at this platform as a reminder of how remote work should, and we meet, let's face it, that means from home, follow best practices. And then I'll also have some interesting coding questions today as well. So, you know, things have really changed. Back in the 1950s, working from home was what women did primarily. And that included, you know, housework, raising kids, cooking, gardening, etc. Now we're 50 years later. (laughs) And the workforce for women is actually, I think it's 52.3% is what I saw, which is higher than, than men. Not saying that men aren't working out there too. Shout out to you as well. But here we are, you know, men and women changing what it means to work from home or work remotely, as they call it. So there's pros and cons to the trend. And if you're an employer, if you're a supervisor, or if you are one of the remote force, uh, remote workforce employees out there, you need to not only know how to meet the challenges of that, but also make sure that um, you are doing what your employer expects. But we also want to look at those expectations and make sure that they're realistic as well. So uh, according to a certain uh, research lab that uh, has been really looking at this over the last couple of years, employees that like to work remotely are between the ages 22 and 65. Well, to me, that's just about everybody, except for our, our younger, you know, kids that are still in school. You have, obviously, they want to be able to go out, go to work quick, and then go have fun as far as whatever they do. Not saying we don't like to have fun, but just saying usually once you get you know, in your late 20s and older, you've got responsibilities once you um, get out of your job for the day. But healthcare is one of the industries with the highest number right now of remote workers. And nearly all workers said that they would choose to work remotely for the rest of their life if they could, even if it was only part time. 
But here's what we need to really look at when it comes to remote working. First of all, we have to be careful because even though we've seen maybe a higher employee job satisfaction, we have not necessarily seen a higher employer job satisfaction. So is there lower overhead? Yes. Is there, in some cases, improved productivity and accuracy? Yes, there is actually. But is there accountability? Is there... Um, a way to really make sure that everyone is doing what they're supposed to do. Uh, is there work-life balance? Meaning that, you know, where do you make the cutoff from coming out of your office at home to basically now home life has started and, and not in the corner of your eye looking at um, your office and, you know, workaholics can definitely can um, fail on that work-life ba balance situation as well. And that can add stress and now that could be related to work. So we have to really figure out, you know, not just from a management perspective, but also as an employee perspective. I know for me, because I'm working 90% uh, remotely right now, and I used to be somebody that traveled 200 days a year. Think about that. Now I decided to cut back my travel in January. Uh, well, I cut it back when my daughter was in high school. And then I cut it back way back in January, only saying that I was going to go to conferences and, and not do, you know, two to three seminars a week. And then COVID hit. So boy, was my timing perfect. Um, because then it just we had to pivot no matter what we did. But you you really have to look at some challenges of remote work and then uh, what you can do to really make it better for your employer as well. So first of all, management considerations. One thing that's a pro for sure is managers can recruit, recruit from any location. You can train with you know online programs. You can monitor through online meeting software. The only negative is that you don't get to see your patient, your, your patients, your, your people in person. And so that does affect, you know, some of the office dynamics that we're used to. Also, managers considering a fully or par partially remote workforce must ensure the vision for remote, remote work uh, aligns with leadership. So for example, if there is some expectation of on-site presence, it should be consistently expected by all levels of management. Otherwise, you're going to have some workflow issues and also some backbiting when it comes to, well, he or she gets to and I don't get to. Managers also need to consider what to do with employees that either cannot or do not want to work remotely. So there are many Americans out there who still lack high-speed broadband internet. And those individuals would not be able to function when multiple spreadsheets, Zoom meetings, um, access remotely to uh, EMR systems, billing systems, and when that's the considerations there. So considerations will need to be made for those employees who need a central office space, because if you don't have that, um, then you're going to have to come into the practice. The other thing, and this is what I've seen uh, been happening that nobody really considered when we had that. Remember the 15-day to slow the spread situation? We had to pivot to home no matter what we did. Well, one of the things that should be a policy, and you have to keep this in mind, because at some point, OSHA and some of the policy um, providers, OIG, HHS, they're going to be looking for technical outlines and expectations regarding computer use, maintenance, upgrades, safety software, uh, HIPAA standards in somebody's home, and also where your employee is um, is working from. Are they working at the dining room table at their house? Do they have, are they working, you know, um, in the living room with their feet up on the coffee table sitting on the couch? 
And that's not always a, a good thing. So do they have a dedicated workspace where it can be locked and the door closed, especially because you're dealing with sensitive patient information? Um, you know, a telecommunications policy, this can address those things, you know, employee expectations such as uh, hours, office supplies, emails, uh, phone availability, home office setup, and productivity standards. And also, what is the expectation for childcare? I noticed that and childcare is very expensive. I talked to my daughter about this who just got married all the time. And so, you know, I'm just like, please wait, just, just, just wait and see, you know, what happens. Don't just jump into it, try to be married for a little bit. Um, because it's going to get really, really expensive. But employees at employee educational opportunities and expectation also could be done remotely. But do you expect them also to attend a live conference? And will they do that? Are you hiring somebody that just expects 100% remote? And what is your policy as far as some of the healthcare mandates for vaccines, if they have to come into the office or to go to the hospital to pick up paperwork or anything like that. So you also want to prevent any misconceptions about the flexibility of remote work um, to your staff and make sure you also have policies to address other, you know, um, aspects of, of working remotely. So do your job descriptions need to be updated? Um, how will evaluations be carried out if you're not seeing them face to face? Will new employees be required to attend an orientation, a Zoom training, uh, or whatever you know platform you're using, uh, Microsoft Teams, whatever? And don't forget, legal considerations can arise as well. How to manage payroll taxes and address any of departments of employee concerns, and that varies state by state. So, it you know where does work comp start and where does it end? And managers almost also must consider the impact of benefits such as health insurance, which can have implications outside the state or region of which the organization office is located, especially if you have a remote worker that's out of state. And then there's a couple of things I would just suggest as far as onboarding new employees that are shifting towards remote work and understanding those challenges. Send a welcome email to that new employee as soon as they get hired, as well as a schedule of what the onboarding process is. Make sure your IT department, and I know some of you are smaller offices, they've provided what the employee needs to get started on day one. So if there's any software access, passwords, walk them through every rem everything remotely. And don't make the assumption they just know how everything works. I know in some of my audits that I do, um, I get access to, through BAA of course, different EMR systems and everybody has a different password protection and firewall and way to get in. So, you, and if I'm not familiar with their access, I have to then be trained on that. Make staff introductions and share pertinent contact information and also preferred modes of communication. And also encourage other staff members to send the new employee a welcome message. That's always helpful. Share whatever information that can be provided in advance of the hire date about handing over proprietary information from your office or HIPAA sensitive information before they're an actual employee. So, in, you know, inform your employee of the basics, where to find what and who is who, and also make sure they understand the logistics of shared and personal drives and set up a Zoom meeting for new employees, orientation, 
which also should include a checklist of must-know items, making sure they know the, the office human resource policy, health and safety policies, security expectations. And if you're a hybrid where you do expect some on-site, make sure that they are aware of that and make sure that they do have an employee manual as well. When you can equip people with that information, it just sets them up for success. You don't want them guessing how things are going to work. Also review workflow processes and expectations. Um, It just shows where you're going with that. And you also want to make sure that when you're setting these expectations that and you're supporting this remote workforce, clear expectations is absolutely imperative. You know, it's likely the expectations are similar to what would be expected on site, but some people don't think so. And so nothing is assumed, especially if it's not in writing. Our old adage, if it's not documented, it's not done. Well, if it's not documented, people just don't know. So one example, and this is a big one, how do you define workspace? So policies may be outlined in the office workspace that has to be a separate space in the employee's home. Again, uh, preferably a room with a door that locks and is not a common family area. Expect a period of adjustment when employees are starting with this new environment of working from home because there may be some stress and organization, you know, and frustration on themselves as well. But here's some policies you may not have thought about. Is it okay for an employee to work in a public area? So if they have limited uh, access to broadband, can they go to Starbucks or can they go to a, a local place? Well, if they could drive from their home and go somewhere, shouldn't they be coming into the office? That's actually my my thought process there. Here's one. Somebody actually asked this. Is it okay to have a glass of wine while working? Well, I would think at 7 o'clock in the morning that would be no. But no, to me that would be absolutely incorrect. So, But that, again, has to be a policy consideration. Is it okay for your staff to work in their pajamas? Or do you expect them to get ready for the workday just as they would as if they came in person? I know I would. Because let's say you have to do a quick Zoom call or a quick, you know, video call, Microsoft Teams, whatever, then you need to make sure that they look presentable, especially if it's with somebody that, well, and I even shouldn't say that, you know, I say, especially if it's like a doctor or something, but everybody's just as important to see somebody who looks professional. What if it's with a patient? You know, can an employee take a break every hour again to throw in a load of wash or to, you know, walk the dog or run to their mailbox? That That's not something you would do in person. And remember, you're paying for that. Now, is your practice one that micromanages to the point where they watch every keystroke? And, you know, I had somebody tell me that they work for a large insurance company and they manage them based on how much they're on the computer. And when there's the keystrokes stop after a certain amount of time, then they don't think they're on the computer and they don't think they're working and they get logged out and then they, they lose their time. So basically she's like, well, so I had to go to the grocery store. So I had my 10 year old daughter who was just sitting at my desk and doing her homework quick. She basically just kept moving my mouse every once in a while. So I could go to the store. I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. So you, you really have to, understand remote work to make it work. Otherwise, you could have some, and I don't like to call them bad actors, but just some employees really abuse the process or the privilege. It's really a privilege to work remotely. So, you know, you don't want to be so rigid as to disallow household activities, but a clarification on break times should be necessary. So, you know, employees don't need to be glued to their chairs in front of the computer thinking that they can't ever get up, but they need to be able to separate their work from their private life. And that can be challenging since they're in their home. And then make sure that you have a way to maintain productivity and know 
when uh, employees are logging in and logging out, making sure everyone has the right tools, that if coders are used to using three screens on site but only have one when working remotely, then you may not be able to have an expectation that the productivity will be the same. So you definitely need to have uh, some kind of communication where that is there. And remember, remote work is not for everyone. I know you've heard me mention my daughter a couple of times. Oh my gosh, she hated it when kids were not in school. She's a, an English teacher for sixth grade. She's like, I am just not somebody who can work from home. She goes, first of all, I get bored. Secondly, I get lonely. And she's like, I love my kids. I love going to school. Well, for me, who works remotely and who traveled all over the country for a good part of 28 years, and just in the last three or four years of being, being remotely, I love working remotely. Now, do I also miss the camaraderie and the networking of going to a conference? I do. And there's also people who really enjoy getting up every day, getting ready for work and going in and seeing their employees and seeing their, you know, fellow staff members. So make sure that when you interview somebody, managers and staff alike should do some self-reflection to make sure that you can all perform well in a remote environment. You know, for micromanagers who are used to peering over the shoulders of your staff, Managing a, rem a remote workforce can be kind of anxiety provoking for you. A manager who cannot trust someone, some of their employees may need to consider finding new employees or not manage the remote uh, workforce. And then if any manager cannot trust an employee, then a new manager could be needed, especially if you're finding that their production is, is still really pretty good. But at the end of the day, you're still managing teams. You're all still working towards the same goal and successes. And hopefully you are still celebrating, rewarding, and challenging and encouraging your staff. There are creative ways to do this even in a remote environment. And that means checking in, making sure everyone is doing well, they have what they need, and really make sure that they are trained. Meaning that expectations are clear and they have a white paper of what it means to be a remote worker or bring them back in. So, and, and make sure you have the space for them as well. But that's just a couple of my tips that I think are important when it comes to remote working, um, because I think there are definitely, there is definitely a place for it, but it has to work appropriately. Otherwise, everyone is going to be kind of set up to not do well. Okay, let's get into our coding questions today. And some of these are coding, some of them are related to coding. First one is about an acronym called MUE. And it says, Terry, I don't understand what the acronym MUE means in relations to CMS or Medicare. What does that stand for? And this is one of my uh, North Carolina members for my, code, my um, coding corner. It, so what this is, is that CMS, and I'll quote what they say in their manual, an MUE is a unit of service edit for a HixPix or CPT code for services rendered by a single provider supplier to a single beneficiary in the same data service. So the ideal MUE is the maximum units of service that would be reported for that CPT or HixPix code. And the reason they developed this, this was to reduce the paid claims error rate for Medicare claims, so especially surrounding clerical entry errors or incorrect coding due to anatomy um, or code descriptions or coding instructions. So for example, um, when telehealth came out and we had um, phone call codes, there's an MUE of one. You can only have one per day, which makes sense since you're only allowed one every seven days. The 
Other one that comes out just comes to mind, derm is always there. When you're doing a debridement or uh, a repair, so mostly in debridements on skin, you have an MUE of nine. So I had somebody trying to code for um, almost 42 debridements on a patient. It's like, no, you can't do that. So know your, your MUEs for sure. Otherwise that will just foster a denial and you don't need that. So another question. So Terry, for cervical carotid stenting, and that means the neck, is there a code for each additional vessel? So actually in carotid stenting, there isn't. Generally one end of the stent will be in the common carotid, the neck area, and the other end will be in the internal carotid, the cerebral. So just as it goes in to the head area. If two stents are required to cover the, cer the cervical area or the common car carotid area, both would be included and no additional code would be assigned. So that actually was a really good coding question. And my last one on the coding would be the difference between telefraud and telemedicine fraud. There is a difference. So telefraud is using telecommunications platform to engage with a beneficiary in order to bill for medically unnecessary services, testing, or equipment. So it's basically typically one of those offshore companies that has gotten your patient's information. They call them and say, you have to do this. And it's kind of like getting one of those calls from somebody offshore in, you know, Pakistan, India, something like that. And they're basically saying, you know, you have to, the IRS, you owe this. So that's telefraud. So telemedicine fraud, similar, but not the same. This is actually billing for telemedicine visit that does not occur or does not meet the requirements for a visit. Here's something that came up just the other day. Somebody said this and I was like, oh no. They said that uh, they got a call and it said, um, oh, hi, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Okay, any problems? No. Okay, we're going to go ahead and, and we got your message to refill your prescriptions. And we have a credit card on file for you for your copay for your telemedicine. Have a great day. And they hung up. Patients said they didn't even get to say anything, but I'm fine. That is not a telehealth visit. And anybody who thinks that is, is committing telemedicine fraud. Please don't do that. So it means that the patient actually initiated the, the call or the care. And there was something that they needed to be seen for, and it was set up as an actual telehealth encounter. So that frightens the heck out of me. I don't like hearing that at all, because all that's going to do is make sure that telehealth isn't extended, and we don't want to do that. Our coding questions are brought to you today by Citibank Advantage Card. Go to Citibank.com to find the right card for you. Start earning miles, points, and benefits from Citibank AA Card today. Okay, so my personal tidbit this week. So I had, um, I've just been feeling really burnt out, like in a fog. And I know we all love our jobs and our life and people in it. And I'm sure part of my fogginess has to be from the last year of planning a wedding and it's finally done. But there are times when we can't figure out why everything's bugging us, why we're mad at our husband or our partner, and uh, why we can't seem to get a restful night's sleep. So I recently wrote an article I was asked by the publisher of rackmonitor.com this week, and it's under Saturday Morning Post under their news tab. So check it out. Tell me what you think. But it's basically an article on how to get ourselves out of the funk we often find ourselves in when we just can't unplug. So check that out. And the other announcement I wanted to make. So some of you don't know one of the podcasts I used to have. Uh, I started it probably at the wrong time. And it was called the Business Collective Podcast. And you can still find it on 
iTunes and uh, Apple Podcasts everywhere because it's still out there. But I, I recorded about 14 episodes in 2020, but that was that was at the height of the pandemic. And what that podcast is about is being an entrepreneur. It's, you know, going out and doing things on your own and how to transition from employee to entrepreneur. Well, for some reason, those listens and those downloads have really spiked. And in the last 30 days from something I did a year and a half ago, um, I saw that I had over uh, 2000 downloads. And so I'm going to start it up again. So take a, make sure you look forward if that's something you're interested in. But it's really focused on healthcare and um, people that are trying to get into consulting and really figuring out how to move from employee to uh, consultant or employee to entrepreneur. So take a listen. Again, it's called the Business Collective, and uh, hopefully you enjoy it. But I appreciate everyone who's downloaded, who's doing that, who's listening to it. And uh, that just gives me some more motivation to get my fifth podcast back up and going. So that's it for me this week, everyone. Make it a great day. And I'll talk to you next week on the CodeCast podcast. For more information on medical coding, billing, auditing, and compliance, including how to hire Terry, follow Terry on Twitter at TerryCoder1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net. Podcast producer Joe Kuzma, music producer Assassin Music. <laughs>